John chapter 13, verses 6 through 11, is our text this evening, and we'll begin our reading at verse 1 here in chapter 13. John 13, beginning in verse 1, this is God's holy word. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wash them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, what I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. This is the word of our God. Be seated, please, and let's pray together. Open our eyes, O Lord our God, that we might behold wonderful things from your holy word. Give us insight, grant us understanding. Reveal your truth now through the Holy Spirit who dwells in every believer's heart. Give us, O Lord, the mind of Christ through the Spirit's ministry, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Imagine the most dignified, highly respected, and honorable person that you can think of coming into your home and cleaning your filthy bathrooms. The very thought of such a thing is embarrassing to us. We don't even want others to see our dirt, especially if we're behind in our house cleaning, let alone clean it up. Cleaning our dirt is something we'd rather do ourselves. And that natural inclination carries over into the spiritual realm, to the dirt of our souls. 
to have someone who's holy see the mess of our lives and the deepest, darkest secrets of our hearts and clean it up for us is humiliating. We'd rather do it ourselves, which keeps people out of God's kingdom because the truth is that human beings are incapable of cleaning their own souls. Proverbs 20 verse 9 reads, Who can say, I have cleansed my heart, I am pure from sin? This can only be accomplished by the cleansing, sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. Jesus cleans his disciples' dusty, dirty feet in order to illustrate this very principle. There's no record of the Last Supper in John's Gospel, but where John does reference the Supper here in John 13, and he goes on then to record this foot washing which happened the same night that Jesus instituted the sacrament of the supper there in the upper room. As we come to this 13th chapter, Jesus, remember, has finished his public ministry. The cross and his death are imminent. He knew, John says, that his hour had come, verse 1, Christ is investing his last hours on earth solely in the lives of his disciples. He could have gathered them all together, sat them down, and said to them, listen, I've got some important things to tell you, and I, and I want you to remember them. And he could have laid these things out that he's about to show them in this Uh, in in this foot washing, uh, but instead he uses this powerful illustration, this powerful metaphor to relate these uh, important truths. In the actions recorded here and in the interaction between Jesus and Peter, we learn several essential things about our need and, and about our soul and the need for Uh, Our cleansing, we'll consider four vital lessons from our text. In the first place, we learn that we must trust God's way. We must trust God's way. It wasn't an easy thing, I'm sure, for Peter or for any of the disciples for that matter, to have their Lord and Master, washing their feet like a menial household servant. And because of Peter's personality, it seems he was the lightning rod for these kinds of situations. Whether Jesus went to him first, we don't know. But when he did get to Peter, Peter did what, what... Peter was prone to do. He questioned his Lord. The force of Peter's reaction doesn't translate well from Greek into English. The sense of it is this. 
such a one as you, are you going to watch the feet of such a one as I? Peter thought that this service was beneath Christ's dignified position. It's similar to John the Baptist's reaction when Jesus came to him for baptism. Do you come to me? I need to be baptized by you, John said. Every one of us would have reacted as John the Baptist did. Everyone as Peter did. Jesus responds in verse 7 with great grace and patience. What I do to you, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. This response carries with it a a force that stretches far beyond the the literal application of these words in in the present setting. But in the present setting, it means even though what I'm doing seems backwards to you, I'm going to explain it shortly and you'll better understand what I'm doing. And for the believer of every age, These words have a broader and deeper meaning that pertains to the many things that we don't understand about God's providential workings in our lives, in the affairs of this world. Our knowledge is limited. There are many things that we don't understand, questions that we could ask and questions that we do ask, challenging God's actions. Why, Lord? Why are you doing this? No doubt you've got questions about circumstances in your own lives. What Jesus says to Peter, he says to you, although you don't see the meaning now and you can't understand all that I'm doing, you will. If not here, if not now, you will. One of the greatest challenges you face as a Christian is to trust God when you don't understand, when you can't make any sense whatsoever out of a situation that you're facing. Only as God gives us grace to trust him do we come to terms with these perplexing issues and find the peace spoken of in the prophet Isaiah Chapter 26 and verse 3, the steadfast of mind I will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in me. We must trust God's way. Second, we must be washed by Christ to be saved. Even after after Christ's words of explanation, Peter persists in his opposition. Never shall you wash my feet, Peter says, verse 8. That response is representative of a common misconception on the spiritual level. Many people think that they must first clean themselves up before they can be acceptable to Christ. I cannot tell you how many people that I've spoken to who think like this. They're under the impression that before they can even 
step inside of a church. They need first to get their lives straightened out. But they have it all wrong. The first thing thing they need to do is come to Christ, to be cleansed by Christ. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. The cleansing of the apostles in their feet here is is a picture of the cleansing of the soul from sin's pollution, a cleansing that happens in our regeneration and our justification. And what Jesus is saying is is this. No one can be saved. No one can have a true interest in me and my work of redemption unless I wash his sins. There's no salvation apart from me, Jesus says. You can contribute nothing. I do it all. It's grace. It's grace alone. It's through faith alone in Christ alone, nothing else but Christ's precious blood can make you clean, can make you acceptable before God. He receives us, Titus 3, 5, and 6 says, not on the basis of what we've done, but by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. The unrighteous won't inherit the kingdom of God, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. And then he gives a long catalog of sins, a long catalog of offenses against God, neither the the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, or thieves, nor the ungodly, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, Paul says. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, we must be washed by Christ to be saved. Third, we need Christ's daily cleansing. Peter was prone to extremes. First, he says, you shall never wash my feet. But then he was suddenly horrified at the idea after Christ's response of having no part in Christ. And he exclaims, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head also. Wash my whole body, uh, Peter says. In other words, Jesus responded By appealing to common sense, verse 10, even if I was talking about literal washing, the one who's bathed doesn't need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. Children, when you walk barefooted through a mud puddle or on the beach and and your feet get dirty, you don't, don't need to wash your whole body. You just need to wash your feet. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying this on 
uh, in the spiritual realm. This is true of us in the spiritual realm. If we grasp the common sense of what Jesus applies uh, as it applies in the uh, physical realm, the spiritual force of what he communicates is far greater and far truer. The washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit is far more extensive, far more complete than physical cleansing. One of the most striking comments that Jesus makes in this exchange with uh, with his disciples is, you are clean, here in verse 10. He's not only talking to Peter here. This is in the second person plural. You can picture Jesus having been dialoguing here with Peter, turning to all the disciples and saying, all of you, all of you are clean. You're clean. Peter, who would deny him three times. James and John, whose lust for recognition as the greatest among the twelve at one point eclipsed their desire to serve and please God. Thomas, who was plagued by unbelief. All of them who abandoned Jesus in his hour of agony to these weak, erring, stumbling, bumbling disciples. He said, you are clean. And by extension, he means all believers who, like the apostles, have been born again, have received the washing of regeneration, have been justified by faith. He was speaking of the disciples standing before God. He's speaking of our standing before God. Once the believer is joined to Christ by faith, he's fully cleansed by Christ's blood, completely absolved and free from every trace of guilt, counted as blameless before God. After the cleansing of the body, traces of dirt still remain. But the one who's pardoned and justified is entirely clean, entirely pure before God. That's the promise of the gospel. But at the same time, the the justified Christian still struggles with sin. The warring with the flesh continues, and he's not perfected until he reaches heaven. And so his feet need constant attention. Every time you open the door of life, so to speak, and walk out, it's as though you're a first century person walking along the dusty pathways of Palestine. When you open that door and step out into a sin-cursed world, you're contaminated by its defilements. Your feet get dirty. Whenever you do virtually anything in this life, your soul gets dirty. You stumble in many ways. We all do, James says. Haven't you found it to be true that the more that you read the Scriptures, the more you study them, the more you grow 
in grace, the more you grow in holiness, the more you notice your dirty feet. You realize more and more the thoughts you have that displease God. The attitudes that you harbor in your heart, the sinful affections that you hold on to, the poison that sometimes drips off your tongue, and the sinful deeds that you carry out. Martin Luther said, the devil allows no Christian to reach heaven with clean feet all the way. We could extend Luther's comment to say that no believer ends a day with clean feet. He barely gets out the door and his feet are dirty. No, he barely steps out of bed. And the dust that has seeped through the cracks of the door overnight into his home defiles his feet once they touch the floor. The dirt of this sin needs to be washed away. You don't need to start all over. Your whole soul is not dirty in this manner of speaking, as Jesus, the way Jesus is speaking to his disciples here. You don't lose your salvation or sanctification when you sin, but you need to have your feet washed. Jesus isn't merely showing himself here in the washing of his disciples' feet to be a servant of men. He's teaching by means of his actions that you need to go to him to confess your sins and that you need to do it daily. In other words, you need a daily spiritual washing of the feet over and over again, even though your whole body's been spiritually washed in regeneration and justification. And so I ask you, children and young people, are you confessing your sins before God? Are you going daily to God in prayer? And when you do, are you confessing your sins to God. One of the great values of being in prayer with God is that when we meet, when we meet with God in prayer, we meet, uh, we, we are in the presence, we recognize that we're in the presence of a holy God. We're in the presence of the Holy One. And when we come into the presence of the Holy One, we, rec- we immediately are reminded that we are a sinful people, or we ought to be reminded of that if we're not. And so I ask you children, and I ask you adults as well, are you going daily to the throne of grace and confessing your sins? Not merely your sins of commission. Those are easily recognized. We know when we sin against God. We know when we violate his commandments but also sins of omission. Those are harder to recognize because we all want to think that we're doing okay in the Christian life. 
uh, that our service to God, our love for God, is, is just fine as far as that goes. But again, the more we know God, the more we understand his love for us, the more we recognize Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, the more we recognize our lack of love for him and the resultant lack of service for him in his kingdom. And we become complacent in the Christian life. And we must go daily to confess our sins. It's vital. Jesus himself teaches us this. It's a great value of using the Lord's Prayer in your personal devotional lives, in your family devotional lives, because we're taught there to confess. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We're reminded of our need to, to come constantly before the Lord and confess our sins. That doesn't mean, of course, because we have this great privilege of confessing our sins, I've been reminded as, as, uh, as I've been reading through the book of Leviticus in McShane's reading calendar, uh, just how uh, compli- complicated it was to, uh, to be cleansed from sin and to be purified in, in the Old Covenant. Uh, the, the, the sacrifices for uh, sins that were, that, that were required. Uh, when uh, we in the New Covenant can simply, through because we have a mediator, can go to Christ, uh, we, don't have to, we, don't ha- we don't need a priest to, to atone for us. We have a Savior who's already atoned for us. And we can go to him freely and, and flee to him often to, to confess our sins. But that doesn't mean that we uh, shouldn't strive to keep our feet clean. Now, there's much that we could say about uh, putting off the old and putting on the new about striving for holiness. But Isaiah speaks about uh, of the, the quest for sanctification itself as a washing and a cleansing process. In that familiar passage uh, of the first chapter that we, uh, in God's providence, read this morning, in our reading of the law, verses 16 and 17. Notice uh, that having earlier indicted God's people of their guilt, note note what he says here in verses 16 and 17 of Isaiah chapter 1. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, Remove the evil deeds, uh, the evil of your deeds before my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. But then notice uh, the Lord's word through through Isaiah here in, in verse 18. Come now. Let us reason together says the Lord, though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be as wool. When you sin, 
rather than pushing you away and saying to you, no, no dirty feet in my kingdom. Rather than being so disgusted with you and your impurity, the impurity of your sin. God says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they will be like wool. Come, let us reason together, God says. This is a plea. This is God's plea. This is Jehovah's plea to his people Israel. It's his plea to God's people of all ages. It's his plea to us to come before him and to acknowledge our sins, to submit to having our feet washed again so that our daily iniquities might be taken away. And it's Christ who washes us. He washes us completely in our regeneration so that the whole body is clean. He washes us daily. Daily foot washing. Daily cleansing of sins is an essential part of your sanctification. Now, you know these things to be true. You and I know these things. We read these things. We hear uh, about these things in preaching. And yet, at times, you may let days go by without praying. You may let days go by without confessing your sins before God. And sometimes when you sin grievously, you're like the person who thinks he must first clean up his act before he comes to God or do some period of penance before God will again accept you into his communion. J.C. Ryle wrote, He that neglects his daily washing is a very questionable and doubtful kind of Christian. Give heed to the call of Scripture and its promise. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. But then fourthly, we learn here that not all who profess Christ are cleansed from their sins. To his disciples, Jesus said, you are clean, but not all of you. Verse 11, Jesus, uh, John says, for he knew the one who was betraying him for this reason. He said, not all of you are clean. There was among Peter and the rest one apostle who lived with Jesus, who followed Jesus, who heard his teaching and preaching, observed his mighty signs and wonders, 
firsthand, who himself cast out demons and preached the gospel, yet who was neither cleansed in the full sense of regeneration and justification, nor in the sense of daily cleansing. There was one among them who was harboring sin, walking in sin, ready to betray his master at the first opportunity. And none of the other disciples had a clue who it was. That should say something to us. Jesus was troubled in spirit. John goes on in verse 21 here in chapter 13. He said, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. And the disciples began to look at one another at a loss to which, as to which one he was speaking. And you remember uh, in uh, the other gospel accounts, we, we read that uh, the other disciples said, Lord, is it I? Each one of them had doubts in his heart. Even Christ's own apostles didn't know that Judas was the betrayer. Even Christ's own apostles didn't know that he was apostate. And if even Christ's own apostles weren't all cleansed and justified, we have good reason to believe that there are false professors in the church today. But none of us knows for certain who they are. Attending church, no guarantee of salvation. Baptism, church membership, no guarantee, no sure proof that you're pure, that you're right in God's sight. You must have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. And this ought to cause everyone who professes faith in Jesus Christ to make all the more sure that he or she has truly laid hold of Christ by faith and is making his calling and election, and election sure by walking steadfastly in faith before God. Are you clean? Has your whole body been washed? Are you born again by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit? Are you justified? Do you have a right standing before God? Are you pure in his sight? Does he look at you because of the righteousness of, of the Lord Jesus does he look upon you as righteous before him? 
And if so, what about your feet? Are you keeping your feet clean? Are you regularly confessing your sin and putting them, uh, putting your sins under Christ's cleansing blood? Jesus has laid aside his outer garment. He's girded himself with the towel. He's poured water in the basin. And he stands ready to cleanse you as your mediator. Go to him. Children, go to him. Young people, go to him daily. Adults, go daily to your Lord Jesus Christ, freely confessing sin and trusting in him to cleanse you from its guilt and pollution. Let's pray. We thank you, our God, for your saving work of cleansing. We thank you for the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, by which you have saved us, not on the basis of our deeds, O Lord, but by that washing and by that renewing, by the Spirit's work within us. We thank you, O Lord, that, our, that because of Christ's work, that you, that you look upon us, not as, as those who are odious in your sight because of our sins, but as those who are lovely and pure and holy and righteous because of Christ. We acknowledge our slowness to confess our sins before you. We acknowledge, O oh Lord, uh, that we are less ready to confess than you are ready to forgive for our sins. We thank you, O oh Lord, that you are a God who uh, is ready to forgive the sins of his people when they come and confess their iniquities, all of their transgressions and sins before him. We thank you for this great privilege afforded to us by the sacrificial atonement of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for our mediator. And we thank you for the great privilege that we have of, of peace with you, of daily cleansing, uh, daily foot washing as our feet get dirty in this world. Teach us, O oh Lord, to be faithful in our covenant obligations before you. Teach us to be faithful in prayer, faithful in confession before you. We ask, O oh God, for your grace in this way. Help us to trust in your way, always looking to you. Trusting that we will one day know the answers to all life's questions concerning all the circumstances that perplex us here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.